You're listening to the Be So Good podcast with Colin Pierce. Colin says you are 10 times better than you think. So why not be so good they can't ignore you? Here he is, Colin Pierce. Hey, the last time I had today's guest on the Be So Good podcast, Lisa O'Neill showed what an absolute beam of light she is. Her message was about being the best you you can be. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And she agreed to return and tell us about thought leadership, the Thought Leaders Business School, of which she is the CEO, and furthermore, how to become a thought leader, or maybe find out that you are already one. A native-born resident of New Zealand, Lisa is a well-known speaker and MC across New Zealand and Australia, and she has been sought after for about 10 years. Even during the locked-down time of COVID, she carried on her exciting practice online. So for more of her straight-talking, refreshing wisdom and infectious laughter, I invited her back to open up the vision for your own thought leadership. Lisa O'Neill, please tell me what is a thought leader? What is a thought leader? That's a very good question. That is a very good question. I, my definition, it's not the Oxford Dictionary definition, but my definition of a thought leader is someone who leads the thinking in an area. So I think if you're a thought leader, you are leading the thinking um, and you are out there as an expert kind of offering your thinking to the world. That's what, that's what I would look at as. Uh, what about mini thought leaders? I was doing a seminar, a workshop for some accountants, and I broke them up into thinking about what's coming down the pike, what should we be prepared for? And one of them was very strong about uh, managing Bitcoin as an accountancy or whatever it's called, the virtual coinage. Is he a thought leader inside that organisation or is he just a bloke with a big idea? No, well, I think a lot of a lot of thought leaders are blokes with big ideas and women with big ideas. And I think it's really about what have you got? I think thought leadership is usually a combination of your experience and expertise. So what have you done and what do you know and how can the world benefit from that? And there's people out there. One of the best questions, I think, if I'm talking to someone and they say, well, how do I know if I'm a a thought leader or not it's like have you got a book in you have you got a whole lot of stuff that you would like to put out into the world um, that you think the world would benefit from so that's kind of I think a good definition that if you know a whole lot of stuff and you think the world needs to know what you know then I reckon that's probably a good sign that you've got some thought leader inside you. Were you a thought leader before you joined thought leaders but you didn't know it? Yeah, yeah, I was. So interestingly, I was, and I joined Thought Leaders Business School um, six years ago, but I would still would never, ever refer to myself as a thought leader. I don't think it's, I think it's okay for you to say, oh, I met Lisa and she's a thought leader, or I can say I met Colin and he's a thought leader, but I don't think it's up to me to go, hello, I'm a thought leader, because people are like, what? I think it's a bit odd to self-label. I think it's a strange it's not a phrase I ever use, um, but I think it's definitely a, a, a compartment um, of the world. It's like an infopreneur. So you're selling information or ideas. Yes. Somebody said years and years ago in my presence that the, the age of the mobile, the mobile information conglomerate 
was about to come. I reckon that was 25 years ago. And you're a mobile information conglomerate, aren't you? All the stuff in your head is yeah, amazing. Like, yeah, and it's like, you know, all you really need is a laptop um, and some ideas and some thinking and some time and some clients. And it, there's no, the world doesn't need big consulting businesses anymore. What we need is really smart people producing really thorough, relevant and elegant um, thought leadership and, you know, solving people's problems. And the world's got more problems than it's ever had. So I reckon now's a really good time for people to kind of embrace that. And it also gives you a lot of flexibility around working. It's been great for me as a working mum to be able to work that I can take days off. I work 10, day, 10 weeks on, two weeks off, which works in perfectly with my children's school terms. Um, and it means that I'm kind of in charge of my calendar, which I like. Yeah. Were you surprised at the number of thought leaders that were involved in the Thought Leaders Business School when you rocked up? Yeah, when I arrived, I think it was 150 um, in the room when I arrived. And I remember going, wow, like what do all you people do? And then I'd meet someone and say, oh, I'm an expert in productivity. And I was like, oh, so is he. And then someone else would be like, I'm a leadership expert. And it's like, so is he. And, and I realized that actually it didn't matter because there's so much work out there. And you and I could both be an expert in caskets for dogs, but we would have a completely different take on it. So it doesn't matter what you're an expert in and what matters is your essence and, and what you bring to it because no one else is you. Do you know what I mean? And what mm. I love about the business community is the generosity and the understanding that we're probably not really competing um, for the same work. You know, like all the speakers I know at Thought Leaders Business School, if they employ one of the others, it's, they didn't want me. Otherwise, they would have employed me. So it's not, there's no competition, which is really nice. Just lots of support. And I'm surprised, like you, at the number of people that can fit into a niche uh, because I was interviewed on a podcast from Kentucky by a bloke who's got a podcast and a membership for people who are water pressure sprayer cleaners. And there were 22,000 people involved in his podcast and they go around squirting stuff off gutters and houses. And there's all those people. I thought, well, there's probably room for seven. And there they are. Yeah. So the niche. Yeah, the niche it's, amazing. it's amazing. It blows my mind, the people that come into business school and I say, oh, tell me about what are you an expert in? And they tell me and I'm like, is that even a thing? Like, <laughs> is that even a thing? Um, it's really funny. And I, I love that. I find that very interesting. It's there's so many interesting people. I was talking to um, a guy who I joined business school with at about the same time, six years ago. And he said, I just love hanging out with people uh, with thought leaders. He said, because they've always up to something. They've always got something going on. They're either interviewing someone or they're writing about someone or they're working with someone or they, they're, they're designing something. They've always got something to talk about, you know, and I think that's what I love. I love interesting people with something going on. Yeah. Now, who's the guy in from New Zealand, mate of yours? He's one of those famous red belts. And during COVID, he went on a crab boat or a crayfishing boat or something. Oh, Mark Graney, yeah. He's yeah. gorgeous. And he had a client who um, was a deep sea fishing company and he'd been doing lots of training for them. And he rang them up when COVID first happened and said, look, how are you going? You know, can you still go fishing? What will happen to your company? And he was kind of really concerned because he had a relationship with them for quite a long time. And um, the guy said, look, the biggest problem we've got is we can't get enough people to go on the boats. And he said, oh, why is that? And he said, because 
the kids are at home. So the, the families don't want to be split up. They don't want their, their partner going off to sea for six weeks in a lockdown. So they are really reluctant to leave. And he said, we're really struggling to fill the boats with workers. And Mark is a raving extrovert. He loves people. He loves a challenge. He's very physical. He's very fit. And he was like, I'll go on your boat. And they were like, what? And he's like, I think it would be a wonderful opportunity. So off he went. He went to sea for six weeks. He'd never been to sea. He'd never been a commercial fisherman. And he threw himself into it. And he now understands that industry better than anyone that's going to do any training in there. So it was it was a really amazing experience. Reading yes. his blogs and talking to him about it was amazing. Let's talk about the kinds of thought leader you can be. Maybe you need to refer to some of the people that are in your thought leaders business school just to show us the range of people who can be considered thought leaders so that listeners can say, huh, I'm in a field like that. Maybe I'm a thought leader. So can you rattle a few off? Yeah, well, I think there's different, it's really about being, and business school is all about being commercially smart. So the first thing is you've got to be in a, in a category that people buy. And so what do people buy? Um, and people buy, you know, companies buy storytelling, for example. They want their leaders to be good at telling stories. They People buy presentation skills. People buy um, transformation. They buy um, how to deal, how to have difficult conversations. They buy, it's all of the different things that people will buy to improve their people in their teams. Um, people will pay for productivity and efficiency. And, you know, and then there's a public world as well where you can, be online and you can be um, selling courses for how to feel taller in the morning and someone will buy it um, because there's someone out there that wants to feel taller in the morning so I think it's pretty much fair game but I think in the in the public world where you're working in um, with individuals it's a different market and different set than if you're working in a corporate world where the corporates and conferences and things have certain things they buy and certain things they're looking for um, and so on. I think things like, you know, remote learning, wellness, psychological safety, all of these things have really exploded lately. Mm. But there's a lot of people out there who are amazing thought leaders, but they're probably currently working selling or training in someone else's thinking. So they're selling Dale Carnegie stuff or they're selling John D. Martini stuff. Or, so they've taken another body of work or they're a Gallup Strength Finder expert or they're a Myers-Briggs coach or they're literally taken some other thought leadership and they are putting it out there into the world which is awesome but you can never make that much money when you're selling someone else's thinking so if you had your own system be extraordinary right so unless you're Myers or Briggs you're not ever going to get paid really big money to deliver Myers and Briggs work um, you'll get paid good money but not extraordinary money so that's um, that's one of the benefits of IP I think some of the thought leaders uh, in the business school earn phenomenal amounts of money. And I've told people, uh, I've just been to a conference with a whole lot of people and, you know, the average is something like three or $400,000 a year and they don't believe me. Uh, but people Yeah, are no, I agree. I didn't believe it. When I walked into the room and I remember talking to someone and they were telling me about a one-day training they were doing and I said, oh, what? And, I, and it's really weird because I think... At Thought Leaders Business School, money's very explicit. We talk about money all the time. And I found that quite weird as a New Zealander. In New Zealand, you don't talk about money. You would never say, oh, Colin, how much do you earn? Or, you know, how much did you charge for that? 
people just don't have that conversation. So when I was in the room and people are all saying, oh, how much do you charge to do a keynote speech? And how much do you charge to do a half day? I was like, excuse me, isn't that rude? I think that my mother would say that's a bit rude. Um, but it would just become very, very normal. And I really like it because it's not really about the money. It's actually a game. And the good thing about money is it's proof that. So if you're a conference speaker and someone's prepared to pay you $10,000 for an hour on stage, you've got to be really good. Like you have to have a massive impact on that room to shift the energy of those people and to have an impact that's worth $10,000 to that company. That's completely different than if they're prepared to pay you $2,000. And I know speakers who charge $10,000 and they're extraordinary and they change people's lives and they're amazing and it makes the whole event. So they're better off having, you know, that person and they're happy to pay that big money and the speaker knows they're good enough and knows that they will get paid that money. So that's what they ask for. But sure. um, it's an interesting thing. For me, I put my prices up because I realized I, I had value and I had value to offer. And two, I increased my value because my thinking got better. I got more robust. I was just an entertainer um, six years ago. I had lots of funny stories and pretty pictures, but I didn't really have any depth. I was very shallow, Colin. I was shallow. So it was nice to get some depth and to really make sure I was relevant. Because, you know, you see so many people who just cookie cut the same stuff to, the, to a different audience. Um, whereas I like to, every keynote I do, for example, is relevant to the audience. The stories are about their industry, the everything about it is relevant to the people I'm with, um, not just the same speech I did for the last three weeks at the mm. last three conferences. Yeah. We're speaking a little bit as speakers, two speakers drawing off each other, but a thought leader doesn't necessarily have to be a platform speaker, does he or she? There are a number oh, no, of... No, no. Uh, number of people who yeah. so we work in six different um six different modes at business school so there's speaker author an author could be a, someone who writes a book someone who writes blogs someone who writes online courses or programs so um authoring can be online um programs which is a huge part now a very big part of people's offerings um and then there's mentoring coaching facilitation um, and training. So they're all different ways that you can deliver your expertise to the world. And the smart thing, the thing I learned, I was very mode locked. I was very much, I'm a speaker, I'm a speaker. And then the world of speaking fell over. And I thought, that's not very clever, is it? So um, it's much smarter to go, I coach and I mentor and I facilitate and I train and I speak. And then you can make money six different ways off your thinking. So run over those again. Model. Run over those again. We'll put them on the screen. Speaking. Uh, these are what Matt Church, who invented all these modes, called the superstar parts, the speaking, the authoring, and the training. And then there's the what you might call the slightly hidden crafts or the grayscale crafts, which is just as lucrative. So let's do them all. Speaking, authoring. Speaker, author, and trainer. Trainer. They're kind of the front of the room, large scale or offerings that we have in the mode model. And then you have coach, facilitation, and mentor. Is it possible as a thought leader to do them all? Absolutely. Yeah. Doing them all is, is, is actually amazing. Um, there's often maybe, maybe you do five of six. There's often one that people don't do. They just don't like coaching. They don't like, you know, you have preferences, I think, um, which is important. But I think doing at least three is a really, a really smart move. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about thought leadership for one of them. Let's say there's a person watching who's a really good mentor 
a kind of a seniorish person in their role, uh, maybe not quite partner in an accounting or engineering firm, but, but a, a group leader, somebody who's good at that, and they would like to explore that more than just in their accounting firm or their engineering company. What are they going to do with their mentorship skills to earn a little more, be a bit more useful than just for the five people in their team? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think what the best, the first thing to do is you've got to capture your thinking. So if you're um, an, a senior experienced person in your industry, you've got a lot of experience, you've got a lot of expertise. The problem is you don't know you've got them because you just assume everyone's got them because they're just floating around. And whatever you're good at, you will probably be unconsciously competent. So you, you won't know how good you are because it's just, you go, oh, everyone does this, don't they? And you're like, no, not everyone can do what you just did. And you're like, really? So, you know, there's a piece of that. And I think you're not really the right person to judge how good you are for a start. Um, but the, the proof is in actually getting all of your thinking out. So actually capturing all of your ideas, um, capturing every thought that you have and then going, what's the left brain, the right brain, the concept, the context, the whole robust picture of that idea so that you can then go, oh, that's a really good idea. And then you might come up with six amazing ideas and you might say, there's six amazing sessions that I could take a junior partner through that would help him or her. And so these are my six sessions because I've got them I've got, got captured them out of my brain I've written them down I've looked at them I've stretched them out I've made them amazing and then I've packaged them all up and gone I reckon these are the six things that every junior partner in the world needs to know about in an accounting firm and you could go off and mentor junior partners all over the world not just the ones in your office so that's kind of is that the example you're looking for yes that's very good and that might then inevitably you already hinted at it write a little book or an article or a few blog posts about it so that you've gone into one of the other modes. Yes, and that would help you get positioned. So if you were then writing about these are the things I think every junior partner should know, junior partners everywhere would start to go, have you heard about that guy? He's amazing. You know, everyone should follow him and you'd start to learn and you'd start to follow and then you would possibly write a book and writing a book would cement the fact that you were an expert in that field um, and people would hear about you and people then would go, I've heard you're really good, you'd build testimonials and you would get referred. So that's how you go from just being known for knowing something to actually, um, sorry, for knowing something to known to knowing something. So you, we all know something, but what are you known for? And I think that's a good question. What do you want to be known for? We had Kieran Zerner talking about uh, getting known as the person who's known and uh, she had to do that for herself. So that's an interesting interview to look back on. Say uh, you get a lot of people probably like I do coming up and saying, how do you like, you know, be a speaker and that? Because, you know, I'd like to be a speaker. And they'll, of course, heard you say that uh, somebody earned $10,000 on the stage and they say, oh, I'd love that. And so they come up and say, like, how do you get started? And... I want to crawl into a little shell and not answer them. It's very tricky. Isn't it? You've been asked that thousands of times. It is tricky. And it's a hard thing because I think 
Um, for me, I started working, I was in, started off in the fashion industry and I was really good at fashion stuff. So people would ask me to come and speak at something or they'd say, could you do a little session for 10, 10 women or could you speak to these 10 men or, you know, could, and I was like, sure. And I built it up really small and I literally went from 10 people and ended up running events with 900 people at a time. But it happened, it was a slow build. And I think a lot of people go, oh, I want to be a speaker. And they think, there we go, we'll just pop you straight on the main stage you know at the Melbourne Convention Centre and off you'll go and it's like no no it takes years of craft as you know to you know it takes years doesn't it to to build your build up your speaking and to get known and you've really got to be trusted by event organizers and people who uh, go it's you know what Colin's safe I'm going to hand over the wheel to him because you could have a thousand ears of a company for an hour like that's a really, really, it's massive. It's a big responsibility. Um, and they don't want you going all rogue on stage. No, no. I, I, rec I say to people, you've got to lose nine demerit points on your license, on your driver's license, before we can even begin. Uh, I, because I spoke for a, a Ford dealership uh, for 50 bucks and I had nine recalcitrants not willing to learn anything and thought I was a big girl's blouse, but we managed to get through. I decided I needed to record it or play them a recording. So I said to the boss, where's a PowerPoint? I pulled out the plug to put my tape recorder in and the nearby electronic typewriter went, and he said, I think you just erased two weeks of templates that the PA was putting together. So that was the first disaster. Anyway, I left there with just, enough, with just my shirt on my back and I fled to a thing right across town and got flagged down for speeding. And that was another 50 bucks I was going to earn. And then I left there and believe it or not, I was driving back. I thought I'd get a car wash. And so it was still a bit wet. They didn't have those blowy things in those days. And so I thought I would blow dry my car. And of course the policeman pulled me over and he said, uh, what do you think you're doing? I said, I'm blow drying my car. And that went over like a cast iron jet. And so that day I lost 150 bucks. <laughs> And was fined, oh no, I earned 150, I was fined 300 and lost nine demerit points all in the space of five hours. Until you've gone through some disasters and learned the hard way, scanned your knuckles, bloodied your nose, it's no good coming up to Lisa O'Neill and saying, hello, I'd like to be a speaker like, where do I start? Um, it's really funny because I think when people say, you know, oh, it's a lot of money to earn on stage. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not, it's not the hour, right? You're paying for every single minute of that person's life beforehand, all of their experience, all the work they've done, all of the stories that they've mined, like that great story. You know, it's like all of the experiences that they've been through, you get the benefit of all of that in one hour. So, and, um, that's and they would pay. You know this, you've said this, probably had to use this argument. Excuse me, you're going to spend more than $10,000 on the cocktails before the awards dinner and the plonk. And you won't spend $10,000 on helping these people for life. That little will be gone in the morning after a blotto night. Yes, so there, yep. is, there is a lot to be said for what you and I bring, particularly you, yep. and what you've done to earn the right. So the speaking is a thing where you'd need to start slow, don't you? I see people who started with the rotaries. So you've got to start 
So, and you've got to, and really you've just got to speak. And I think, speak to whoever's listening, just get some experience. And I think people want to go straight to the end. And it's like, no, you've got to start slow. Like I was like you, I used to speak for petrol and pantyhose. You know, I'd get an envelope at the end of the night with a $25 book voucher in it or some bloody thing. And that was what I, you know, and they'd say, oh, we'll pay for your petrol. And um, and I used to travel, I used to drive all through the night. I remember being eight months pregnant, driving for four hours. And I got a $50 note in an envelope, you know, for speaking to a hundred women in a hall. Um, and, and you just have to build that up. Like, because oh, you yeah. get... You can't really um, beat the experience you get on your feet doing your thing. Oh, so, so true. What if yeah. somebody wanted to look at thought leaders as a possibility for them, the business school? How do they go about that? Give us a couple of details about entry and, and the web address and so on. The web address will be on the screen running along the bottom now. Yeah, so it's thoughtleaders.com.au and um, you can jump online and have a look at um, Thought Leaders Business School. It's it's an amazing program. It helps people to be commercially smart. So we have a foundation program where you learn the foundation principles of the curriculum. So our founder, Matt Church, wrote the most extraordinary curriculum, which is basically a recipe you can put all of yourself into and pop out the other side with a commercial proposition. So it's, um, yeah, it's an amazing um amazing idea and Matt's very clever and he's very generous in that he's written down everything he did and allowed everyone else to copy that process which I think is very generous so yeah that's the process and then when you learn the curriculum which takes usually anything between two and four months um, you can join us at business school and then business school we have about 280 students all building practices and sharing that experience and we have lots of online sessions and lots of time zones um, and lots of mentoring online and lots of support and connection sessions for people. And every 90 days we get together for three whole days and immerse ourselves in all of our thinking and play in our quarters and decide what we're going to sell and what we're going to deliver. And, oh, it's exciting. It's very, I find it very exciting. It would, wouldn't, mm. It wouldn't be the same without the Divine Miss O on stage uh, carrying on like a pork chop. So do you still get to do that with the online element? Yeah, so we still have um, our online immersions are very similar to the live immersions. Um, we have lots of content in the morning. So we have, you know, inspiration and content sessions. And then in the afternoon, we have working sessions and, and um, you know, discussion groups. And so it's very similar format, actually. Um, it just is through a camera lens instead of in a room with live live bodies. So, yeah, but it's working really well. And the interesting thing is, and you would know this, Colin, the, you know, the people you hear from in a live room are often not the people you want to hear from. Um, so the people who we hear from in a Zoom room, you get more intimacy. You get people sharing things that they wouldn't share normally. And it's quite beautiful because you end up hearing more of people and people are more willing to be vulnerable and tell their stories behind a keyboard than they are to stand up and speak in a hectic room. Good show. And you're loving it. Have you got this lined up for the for world, world, for world domination? 
it's expanding, growing. Absolutely, world domination is definitely on my on my radar. So um, yeah, we're pretty excited. Matt and I have been working our tails off in the last um, six months to kind of recreate everything that Thought Leaders is, and we've retained all the good stuff and just changed um, things so it's now digitally accessible. And our, yeah, our mission is for people to make money and make a difference out there in the world, and we're here to help. So we're both really passionate about that, and I. I'm really excited about it. We're starting live eventing back. So we've got these small local events happening. And I was in a room with 25 thought leaders in Auckland and New Zealand uh, two weeks ago. And it was amazing. It was an experiment to see how that all went. And it was great. It was a really good experience. Having a small group of concentrated big brains together, all talking and being clever together. It was lovely. Two last questions. Firstly, what is your thought leadership um, heart for? What's the Lisa O'Neill thought leadership mantra? What's my mantra? Well, it's funny. I spend most of my time making people better. Um, I think um, that that's what I'm really good at. I'm really good at helping people to be better. And it doesn't matter whether that's an organisation or a company or a team. Um, I had a company phone me the other day and say, oh, I believe you're the national, um, a national expert in uh, motivational leadership. And I was like, hmm, all right then, I get whatever you like, you can call me whatever you want. I said, yeah, that's marvellous. Of course, that's what I am. Um, but I spend a lot of time working in self, what I call self-leadership. So helping people to be individually better because I'm a real, I'm really big on the individual. And I think if every individual got better, all of the companies, you know, if a company's got a thousand people in it and they all got 1% better, that whole company gets a thousand percent better. So I'm very big on people getting their shit together, basically, and just being better. Being better. Good numbers. And whatever thing they want to be better at. Beautiful. And what's your still speaking was your big thing? Have you got all six of the modes under your belt? Yeah, so I do a lot of authoring. I run a lot of online programs, which I love. Um, I've just written my sixth book. It's gone to print today, which is very exciting. So I, I love writing. Um, and I also do a lot of online training now. So lots of online training. I'm also started doing online retreating, which is really facilitation, um, I guess. And it's really interesting. So creating retreats. I used to run a lot of retreats in person. And that's a bit tricky now. So um, we're doing retreating where you have 12 hour days where you do two hours on, two hours off um, all throughout the day and um, all come in together for two hour sessions, two hours away, two hours together with exercises set in between um, over three days. And it's really beautiful. It's lovely. So doing some personal development stuff in the facilitation And you've heard this yeah, once or twice. Oh, I don't know how you fit it all in, Lisa. But you do because you love it. Isn't that true? So true. You know, doing work you love with people you want the way you like, that's a big mantra at business school. And it's like, I did that my whole life. And then I arrived at business school and went, oh, there's another whole planet like me. I just thought I was the only one that did everything they wanted, when they wanted, how they wanted. But um, yeah, I think when you do stuff, people ask me all the time, how come you've got so much energy and you're always so happy? And I'm like, because I do what I love all day. That's why. It's really easy when you love what you do. Well, I could talk to you all day, but we better not because people have to go to work. They have to catch their, drop their kids off at school and do all the other things. So I will just say thank you very much, Lisa O'Neill. And there's her own personal website on the screen as well. And some other time, some other day, it'll be beautiful to see your next set of earrings. I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you so much. Phew, that girl's a goer. So what do you think? 
Are you a thought leader? Is there more to you and your future than you have thought possible? Could it just be that you are actually 10 times better than you think? Is it conceivable that you could be so good they can't ignore you? Well, I'd like to think so. Why not get in touch and explore the idea? You've been listening to Be So Good with Colin Pierce. For more episodes, check the playlist at colinpierce.com slash podcast. And don't forget to drop a review in the iTunes listing.